I'll be reading from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 22, uh, through chapter 4, verse 1. Um, You can turn there if you brought your Bible. If you want to use the Pew Bible, it's page 190. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also... Fourth through sixth graders can be dismissed, if not already, so I believe... Is it Victor or... We'll be teaching, so... Uh, Victor and Carrie, it looks like. Thank you. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy of gathering, worshiping, remembering, celebrating. Thank you for these little voices that have led us so well. God, out of the mouths of infants, you have ordained praise. Uh, we pray now that you would Give us ears to hear, a heart to understand, eyes to see Jesus and the call of Jesus upon our lives. In his name we pray, amen. Well, happy day, happy Labor Day weekend, church. Uh, In case you weren't aware, this is Labor Day weekend, uh, national holiday, right, that we uh, have to, where we, as Americans, we celebrate the hard work of American workers, the hard work that has led to the prosperity of this country. Practically speaking, it means barbecues, vacations, beach trips, and of course, lots and lots and lots of shopping. But in light of this holiday, we wanted to just use this opportunity, you know, during this Labor Day weekend to to look at God's Word, to see what, what God's Word, the Bible, has to say about our work. Most of us spend at least half of our waking hours in the office, nine to five, Monday through Friday. That's most of our lives. We want to take a look at what... The scriptures have to say about that chunk of our time. So when I say the word work, what immediately comes to mind? It's a mixed bag. I mean, some of us enjoy our work. We love what we do. We feel a sense of calling to what we do Monday through Friday. But for others of us, work is more like a necessary evil. We we go, we clock in, because we need to pay the bills. In our culture, people tend to fall into one of two categories, either fall into the idolatry of work or idleness in work. So idolatry or idleness. And these are terms that I picked up from the book called uh, Gospel at Work. It's a short and readable book that I found so helpful when looking at God's word and what does God's word have to say about our work and vocation. Uh, If you're interested, I believe our book nook should have some copies of this either after the service or next week. you want to learn more about this topic? How do you know if you've fallen into the idolatry of work? Well, maybe for work, for you, 
Work is your primary source of satisfaction. Maybe you can't bear the thought of losing your job. Maybe at work you want to be the best, to make a name for yourself, and you can't wait to get that new title or the promotion. Or maybe at work it's all about making a difference in the lives of other people, and the more that you impact others, the more you get a sense of fulfillment in your life. Maybe you tend to fall into the idolatry of work. But maybe you're the opposite. How do you know if you've fallen into the idleness of work? You feel like when you go into, go into work, it feels like the, you know, an engine shifted into neutral, and you feel like you're just idling, passing the time until it's time to go home. You clock in, but you can't wait to clock out. Well, maybe your goal at work is to do the minimum amount of work for the maximum amount of money. Or maybe you see work as a means to an end. You work Monday through Friday, but it's, it's really for the money so you can pay the bills, but uh, life is really about the weekends, about the evenings, the other stuff you get to do outside of work. Or maybe you see work as just an endless source of frustration after frustration, a dead end where you wish you could be working somewhere else. Maybe you fall into the idleness of work. Well, whether you tend to fall into the idolatry of work or the idleness in work, God's word has good news for all of us. And this is the big idea I want to leave you with this afternoon. As disciples of Christ, let's go all in at work because you work for King Jesus and his reward. So go all in at work because you work for King Jesus and his reward. Before we dive into our passage, you need to know something about the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians is about the supremacy of Christ. Christ as our creator, redeemer, and Lord. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, this is Jesus, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So before we think about work, we need to think about God, the creator God, the Jesus Christ, God over all, the creator of all things, whether it's things in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities, all things were created by him. And that includes your job, your company, your boss, those things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, which means Jesus made them and they were made for Jesus. And in the beginning, when God created work, work was perfect because creation was in perfect harmony with its creator. But after the rebellion of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, work became cursed. So the ground is cursed with thorns and weeds. And that continues to today. Just think of the things that frustrate you at work. Sinful bosses co-workers, power outages, equipment that breaks down, computers that crash. Sin has now corrupted our work. And now we can fall into the idolatry of work, where we choose to worship and serve our work, our career, our reputation, money, instead of worshiping God. But other people fall into the idleness of work, where you feel like you go into work and your engine is turned into idle, it's in neutral, Instead of, going, instead of viewing work as embracing the call of God on your life. But Jesus came to fix what was broken, what was cursed. He redeemed work. Dorothy Sayers puts it this way. The first Adam was cursed with 
labor, and suffering. The redemption of labor and suffering is the triumph of the second Adam, the carpenter nailed to the cross. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by being made a curse for us, which means that God's wrath, his judgment against sin fell on the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who came to fix what was broken and ruined by the first Adam, the carpenter nailed to the cross for us. So that means that Jesus is not only Lord of creation, one who has made all things, but he is the Lord of redemption, the one who is remaking all things. Colossians 1, 18 through 20 picks things up. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we see Jesus Christ, Lord of creation, Lord of redemption, one who has saved us out of our sin, out of our curse and judgment and death. So that means we once belonged to sin and eternal destruction. But now, by faith, we belong to Jesus. And that means we have a new identity, a new purpose. So that means whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And most of the book of Colossians is about the practical outworking of what it means to live as disciple of King Jesus. What does it mean to say no to sin and yes to Christ? So let's look at verse 22 where King Jesus gives us his marching orders when it comes to our workplace. Verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Uh, this word bondservants is frequently translated slaves also. It's helpful to take a moment to clarify what the Bible teaches about slavery. You see, slavery in the first century Roman Empire was very different from the kind of slavery practiced in this country before the Civil War. Slavery in Rome was not race-based, but it was more of an economic class. Slaves in first century Rome, they had rights. They had ways for them to gain freedom, and they could even become Roman citizens. See, Paul doesn't endorse the institution of slavery, but he does condemn the form of slavery that was practiced in this country. He condemns it as evil because it involved kidnapping, enslaving people, and unjustly treating a whole group of people. So hopefully that's clarifying that what Paul's referring here, bond servants and slaves, that's different. It's more of an economic class of people. So Paul instructs these bond servants, these slaves, to obey their earthly masters in everything. And this word translated as master in the Greek is this Greek word kurios, which is typically translated Lord. So Paul is calling bond servants to obey your earthly Lord in everything. And this is a radical call of Christ. Christ, when he saves us out of sin, he doesn't pull us out of our earthly relationships, but redeems them. And Paul knows that being a slave isn't the ideal life circumstance, right? It's probably better to be a centurion or a senator or even a Roman emperor. And elsewhere in one of his letters, he tells, he tells his audience, hey, if you're a slave, if you're a bondservant, if you have the opportunity to avail yourself of freedom, take up that opportunity. Don't be a slave. But Paul here is saying, even in this situation, if you are a slave, there is a call of God upon your life, the call to obey 
the God-given authority that he has placed over you, that, that call to obey in everything. Then Paul addresses how. How are bondservants to obey their earthly lords in everything? They're not to obey out of eye service. Eye service, only doing what's right when the owner has their eye on them. Which means that, well, you know, that, 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 that's the real temptation if someone's an employee or a bondservant. If the owner's watching, then I'm going to work hard. I'm going to let him know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to. But if he's not watching, well, I can slack off. I can do whatever I want. They're not to obey out of eye service, only when the owner is watching. But they're also not to obey because of being a people pleaser, obeying out of the desire to, for the approval of men, out of fear of man. So instead of obeying out of eye service or being a people pleaser, disciples are called to live a different way. They are to obey out of sincerity of heart. And this Greek word, translated sincerity could also be translated simplicity, which means single-minded heart, a a laser-focused heart with a single motivation, one motivation in your heart, which is fearing the Lord, the fear of the Lord. And that fear of the Lord is, is this important theme we find all throughout the Scripture. The fear of man is a trap, but, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We see in, in places such as Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, Moses instructing his people, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Moses is teaching the nation of Israel that the one you fear is really the one you love, and the one you love is the one you serve. See, there's a connection between fear, love, and service. So the one you fear, the one you love, the one you serve, that's the one that you really worship. That's the one person or one thing that is your God. And for us as disciples, our God is King Jesus, Lord of creation and Lord of redemption. We're often tempted to worship and serve and fear something else. But as disciples, we are called to demonstrate our allegiance to King Jesus by choosing to ultimately serve and fear King Jesus instead of something else. Something else. That could be money. That could be your reputation. That could be climbing climbing the corporate ladder. That could be the approval of others. That could be feeling good about your own work. Those are all idols, false gods that we are called not to fear. And in the next verse, we're going to see what fearing the Lord looks like. So, so let's see, let's jump to verse 23. Whatever you do, verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So go all into work because you work for King Jesus and his reward. This phrase, all in, it's a common phrase that we use all the time. We throw it around, but I uh, I think it first started about 15 or 20 years ago when certain forms of poker, Texas Hold'em poker, became popular. So people would be playing these games, and when a player wanted to bet everything, right, maybe they had an amazing hand, or maybe they want to bluff their opponents by scaring them off, they would push all their chips to the center of the table. They, would, they basically were going big or going home. They were all in. They were pushing all their chips in. And this phrase has since made it into everyday vocabulary. And it just means fully committed, 
holding nothing back. So when a political candidate says that they're going all in, that just means they're going to give it their best shot. They're going to put out their, their blood, their sweat and tears with the hopes of winning the race. And we as disciples of Christ, we are to be all in wherever Jesus has placed us. Whatever you do, work heartily. And notice that, the, that Paul doesn't put in any conditions. We like to put in conditions. Well, I'll be all in at my workplace. Again, if my boss is watching, if you know, I've got a review coming up, I'll be all in if I feel like it, if I feel like it's worth my time, if I feel like I'm getting a sense of fulfillment. But there's no conditions attached. We're all in. Even if your work feels mundane, even when you feel like you lack a sense of personal fulfillment, even if God has called you to your workplace to endure suffering, you might be a street sweeper or you might be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Whether you're a doctor, a janitor, a teacher, a stay-at-home mom or a pastor, Jesus calls you to be all in wherever he's placed you because you work for the Lord and not for men. As disciples, we remember that we answer to a higher authority, King Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of creation, the Lord of redemption. And there's no excuse to be disobedient, to slack off, to be lazy, because that means we would be disobedient to King Jesus, slack off for King Jesus, or be lazy in what King Jesus has assigned us to do. The gospel at work puts it, puts it this way, so succinctly, who you work for is more important than what you do. So that's the key takeaway in this passage. It's not what you do, it's who you work for. It's who, not what. That's the key point. Who you work for is more important than what you do. So as long as you're earning an honest living, it doesn't really matter if you're a street sweeper or a CEO. To paraphrase one commentator, uh, the extreme case of slavery helps us to see how Every obligation, every burden, every pressure is transformed by the wonder of the lordship of Jesus Christ. We are liberated by Christ, but not from those things. We are now free to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And we as believers, when we go into the office Monday through Friday, week after week, month after month, year after year, we face temptations to slack off, to not work heartily, to not go all in. Now, I just want to talk about three temptations we as believers face, temptations that can pull our hearts away from being all in at work. And the, here's the first temptation, the temptation to com compartmentalize, to compartmentalize. We can, we can think that there is the spiritual realm, and then there's everything else. So there's the spiritual stuff. There's Sunday worship, community group, evangelism, ministry. That's the spiritual stuff. That's really the important stuff. And then there's all this other stuff, the work stuff that I have to do. But we have to remember that all of life is worship. We are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to our Lord, not just Sundays, not just when we do, think we're doing the spiritual stuff, but every single waking moment of our lives. See, God isn't just concerned about what you do on Sunday or community group, but he's concerned about Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, 40 hours a week, not just Sundays, because it all belongs to Jesus, right? He's Lord of creation and Lord of redemption. So work 
is really an act of worship. This is worship, but all of life is worship. So there's a temptation for us to compartmentalize. Don't fall into that temptation. There's another temptation, the temptation to value certain kinds of work above other kinds of work. Some of you might be tempted to think, well, the pastor or the missionary, uh, those people doing the spiritual stuff of the kingdom, that work, that's more spiritual, that's more valuable in God's eyes. We can fall into the temptation to think that. But here's where we need to understand uh, the term calling. You see, God has called you to a certain place in life where you're working now. So wherever you are, that's the Lord's call on your life, whether it's a doctor, whether it's a teacher, as a programmer. That's God's call. Now, it might not be a permanent call. At one point in time, I was called to work as an engineer, and I worked for Intel Corporation for about nine years, and then the Lord changed my call. But where you are now, that is the call of God on your life. And God hasn't called everyone to do the same thing. God hasn't called everyone to be a pastor or a police officer or a stay-at-home mom. The Lord of creation, in his sovereign will, has given different gifts, different talents, different abilities, different opportunities to different people. See, King Jesus has given each one of us a kingdom assignment. He has deployed us in different areas. He has given us different talents and gifts and calling. Some of you are called and deployed as stay-at-home moms training up the next generation of disciples. Some of you are deployed in the area of social work or in the area of finance or maybe in the area of science and engineering. Martin Luther King Jr. puts it so eloquently. If it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep the streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. So disciple of Jesus, wherever God has called you to be right now, go all in. Whatever he's called you to do, do it like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed symphonies. So there's the temptation to compartmentalize. There's the temptation to value certain kinds of work above others. And then there's a the temptation to just view our work as a means to an end. We can be tempted to think, well, I just got to show up at work because I've got to make money, I've got to pay my bills, I've got to support my family, and then I got to give to the mission of the church. Well, that's not how the Bible views our work. The Bible teaches us that Work, the work that God's called you to right now, has intrinsic value. Not just instrumental value, not just as a means to an end. It does, it does meet that need. It does help you pay the bills, but it's so much more than that. So whether God has called you to make widgets in a factory or to generate tax returns for a client, your work is one of the primary ways that God has called you to love your neighbor. Let's think about this. God doesn't need your good works, whatever you do at work, but your neighbor does, right? So when you go see a patient or when you design a bridge or when you write that piece of computer code or change that diaper, you go all in because that is an expression of neighbor love. It's an expression of your service to the king and service to others, service that makes the world a better place. 
Jesus, King Jesus, spent most of his life in Nazareth, first 30 years of his life, not as a rabbi or a teacher. He spent the vast majority of his earthly life as a carpenter. First 30 years of his life, he grew up as an apprentice with his father. He was in the small town of Nazareth, just faithfully working as a carpenter. So that means he didn't spend most of his life preaching or teaching or healing or raising the dead, all the good stuff we expect a Messiah to do. He spent most of his earthly life as a carpenter, and that was God's plan. For me and for you, you might be, that might be surprising to you. You might be thinking, well, well, couldn't Jesus have gotten so much more ministry done if he wasn't a carpenter? Couldn't he have just jumped straight into ministry, skipped the whole carpentry thing? Well, that wasn't God's plan. It was God's plan for Jesus to spend decades, years, in the wood, in the wood shop, building things out of wood with his hands. Maybe he built tables or chairs or built walls or constructed homes. He built stuff, and that was his primary expression of loving God and loving and serving his neighbor. And the fact that Jesus, King Jesus, spent most of his earthly life as a carpenter, that teaches us the value of work. That teaches us that the work we do, wherever God has called you, that work has value in and of itself. So the solution to these three temptations, the temptation to compartmentalize, to value certain kinds of work more than others, or to to see work simply as a means to an end, the solution is to work for King Jesus. To work for King Jesus, not to work for our own sense of fulfillment, not to work for money, not to work for our own career advancement, but to work for King Jesus. But King Jesus gives us another reason to be all in. Let's look at verse 24. Verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So go all in at work because you, will, because you work for King Jesus and his reward. And his reward is been laid out for us. You know what it is. It's the hope laid up for us in heaven, Colossians 1.5. And when Christ appears, we also will appear with him in glory. Colossians 3, 4. And when Christ returns and rewards us, we, knowing that and expecting that, anticipating the return of Jesus makes all the difference in the world when it comes to our work. Because if there's no resurrection, if there's no return of Jesus, well, let us eat and drink and tomorrow we die. It's all pointless. But Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, when we're resurrected with him, when we enter heaven to be with him, and when we receive that reward he has waiting for us, that changes our perspective on work now. We have something to look forward to. And this this universal inheritance, this universal reward, is for both bondservants and masters. That would have been a radical idea in first century Rome. Because bondservants, slaves, were viewed as property. They didn't have an inheritance. But in Christ, bondservants and masters are heirs with Christ. Equal spiritual status. Colossians 3.11 makes this clear. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And later on in the book of Colossians, Paul refers to the slave Onesimus as a faithful and beloved brother, one who is one of you. 
And knowing that King Jesus, when he returns, the inheritance, the reward is waiting for us. Knowing that, that changes everything. We, we have this reward, this glorious, awesome reward that's far better than any earthly reward or promotion or money that we could get in this life because it's the king's reward. It's King Jesus' reward. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus t- tells a parable of the ten minas. King Jesus uh, has ten minas. He gives to ten of his servants. A mina was worth about three months of labor for a worker. And a couple of servants took their mina and immediate, you know, over, over the course of time multiplied what was entrusted to them. And when it was time to give an account to the master, one mina came to King Jesus and said, well, look, your, your mina has produced ten more minas. Ten more. And Jesus says, to that servant, well done, good servant. You have been faithful over a little. I'm going to give you authority over 10 cities. And then another servant comes forward. He, his one mino was multiplied into five. He's given authority over five cities. And this parable teaches us that there's everlasting honor and riches and also authority in proportion with our faithfulness on earth. That there's an eternal reward, whether that's 10 cities or five cities We don't know exactly what that will be, but there's going to be an actual reward, authority, glory, and honor that's going to come from the king based on our faithfulness here on earth. And that's where knowing the gospel, knowing where we're headed, knowing who we work for changes everything. You might think that your job is insignificant, but in God's eyes, street sweepers and CEOs are all co-heirs in Christ Your earthly boss might fail to recognize your work, your labors, but God doesn't. God doesn't overlook your work or the love that you have shown for his sake in the way that you serve. And God has a book of remembrance where he keeps track of everything that we do unto him as an act of faith. Let's look at verse 24 at the end. You are serving the Lord Christ. This is translated as a statement, you are serving the Lord Christ, but some commentators think it's better translated as an imperative, as a command, as serve the Lord Christ. Serve the Lord Christ. And that fits the list of commands given in this section. In verse 22, bondservants obey. That's a command. In verse 23, work heartily. That's a command. And so, verse 24, serve the Lord Christ as a command. And it fits the overarching theme within Colossians, where Christ is supreme. Christ is Lord of creation, Lord of redemption. So serve the Lord Christ. It's not just an idea or suggestion, something good to do, but a command because of who we're dealing with. Abraham Kuyper puts it this way. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry Mine. Mine. Not one square inch in heaven or on earth, anywhere in the universe, that Christ is not sovereign over all. And because he is sovereign over all, because every inch belongs to him, serve him. Serve him. And this sovereign Lord is also our judge. It's what Paul makes clear in verse 25. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. 
So that means if we disobey our masters, if we don't work with all of our heart, if we're not all in, we don't just forfeit our reward. There's actually a punishment that awaits us. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done. And this is difficult for our culture to accept because we, we like the idea of God rewarding people, but this idea of God punishing people runs against what this culture values. But we can't just pick and choose the parts of God that we like. The God given to us, revealed to us in his word, in the scriptures, is a God of righteousness, a God of justice, a God of perfection. That means certain actions are rewarded by God because God judges them to be good. But if that's the case, that means opposite actions aren't rewarded because they're bad, they're wrong, and they must be punished. And that standard of judgment is within God himself, that standard of righteousness. And that standard doesn't change based on public opinion or the cultural winds. It's based on an unchanging God. And because the Lord of creation has made us, we answer to him. We answer to him. Each one of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ one day. So that means we have to ask ourselves, you have to ask yourself, have you obeyed in everything your earthly Lord, your earthly master? Have you worked heartily? Did you give it your all every time you were in the office? Did you do all of your work with honesty and integrity out of love for God and love for neighbor? Well, you know you haven't done all those things perfectly, and neither have I. The Bible calls that failure sin, falling short of the glory of God, missing the mark. And Paul is addressing this warning, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. This warning is addressed to bondservants, but it's actually addressed to all of us because there's no partiality in God. You see, the world shows partiality. The world treats people differently based on what you have, what you know, who you know, the color of your skin. If you have money and it can afford lawyers, people escape justice. And sadly, in this country, if your skin is of a different color, you're treated differently. But God's judgment is the great equalizer. God doesn't look at money, skin color, or position. It makes no difference to him at all. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And if you're not a Christian, you're not ready. If you're not a follower of King Jesus, we're grateful that you're here. And we want to invite you to come back. We want you to know you're, you're always welcome to be among us. But it's important to know how you can be ready to meet King Jesus on that final day of judgment. You can do that simply by turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus. See, King Jesus came to earth. He took on human flesh. He was one of us. He walked this earth. He worked a job just like you and me. He did it perfectly. He kept all of God's commands perfectly in thought, word, and deed. And then he was nailed onto the cross. He died on the cross as punishment, not for his sins, because he was perfect, but for our sins. So then, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You'll be saved if you do that. Saved from sin and judgment and hell. Saved for God, to live for Christ, and to save for heaven one day. You could do that today, even now. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You got up this morning. You went about your day. It's Labor Day weekend, just like every other morning in your life. 
But there's no guarantee that that will be the case tomorrow morning. So turn to Jesus today if you haven't done so. And if you have any questions about that, come talk to me. Come talk to, you know, the friend who brought you. Let's look at the final verse in our section. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And here, Paul is now turning the corner and not just he's been addressing bond servants but now he's addressing masters he's addressing employers bosses supervisors think of all the things that paul could have said to bosses and supervisor he could have said keep your people in line maximize your profits but instead he reminds bosses and masters that they have a master in heaven that the authority that the earthly master has has it's a it's a delegated authority, not an absolute authority, because they, they answer to a higher authority also. And because they answer to God, these earthly masters, these earthly owners and supervisors have to treat their workers justly and fairly. See, if you're a, a supervisor, if you're a boss, if you're the owner of your company, you have a responsibility to treat your workers right, to treat them fairly, to give them their due. The world takes power and authority and abuses it. The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among the disciples of Jesus. We are held to a different standard. The greatest among you will be your servant. The first will be slave of all. So if you're a Christian and also a boss, you have a responsibility not just to seek your own interests or the interests of the company, or the interests of the bottom line, but the interests of those under your charge, under your authority. So do you pay a fair wage? Do you provide a safe and healthy working environment? Are those under your authority thriving under your leadership? Would you choose to be an employee working for you? And I'm only asking these questions now because King Jesus will ask you these questions later. We bring things to a close. I want to end where we've started. What do you think of when you hear the word work? What gets you up in the morning when you head off to work? Well, if you tend to fall into the idolatry of work, your life revolves around work. You're motivated by the prospect of a promotion, the approval of your boss, your sense of personal satisfaction, the prospect of a comfortable retirement. But if you find your identity in work... It's going to ultimately leave you empty because there's always more money that you can make, more projects you can do, more people that you can impact. And that's where working for King Jesus and his reward frees us from the rat race and gives us true security. You don't have to be enslaved to money or to approval or to a future promotion. The church father Augustine says that, reminds us that our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And that, the idolatry of work, that, that is my temptation. And my sinful flesh craves the approval of others. Crave the approval of others. Other people telling me, oh, great job, pastor. Great work. You're a great pastor. And I can tend to find, I can be tempted to find my identity in what I do. And working for King Jesus frees me from the trap of the fear of man. I don't have to please every single person. I only need to please my Savior. 
and that my goal isn't to meet every single expectation of every member, but simply to be faithful to my Lord. And I'm growing in this area, but, it, but it's helped me to be more strategic in the use of my time. That By saying yes to certain things, I simply have to say no to others. But some of you might fall into that idleness of work where your life revolves around something else. You might be motivated by the weekends or vacation. And that's, again, where working for King Jesus and his reward frees you to work for him, from the fr- frees you from the frustrations of work, from how it, you feel like it's a dead end. Because when you work for King Jesus, work is really an act of worship. It's an offering that you give unto him, unto the one who loved you and gave himself for you. You can see work as the primary context for discipleship, where where God is changing you, molding you more and more to be like his son. It's a context where you can love your neighbor as you love yourself. One stay-at-home mom wrote this in in a book. I wanted to read this to you. A stay-at-home mom doesn't get a lot of accolades or affirmation, no paycheck, no glowing review from their boss. But then, you know, the Lord gave her a new outlook in life, and this is, this is how she described that new outlook. I've never thought of being a mother as an act of worship. I can look at it in a whole new way now. I can see how the contributions I make to my household as what I was uniquely created to do for this season of life. So Risen Hope Church, let us Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, wherever God has called you, wherever God's called you to work, go all in because you work for King Jesus and for his reward.